Matt's a good son and a good neighbor, so can't go wrong there. I want us to get on the screen what we're what Matt occasioned to, and uh, so I want us to read together, so please stand up as we read God's Word, and I'll lead us as we look at the screen and read this. From Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. Let's go. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. You can be seated. So we've read the scripture, so I just want to go through it and um, help us to see, I think, what we heard from Kelly and from, and from Dave, what it means to go and do likewise, as Matt said. What does it mean for you and I to go and do likewise? How can we? You know, we don't take verses or scripts like this so literally that, well, we have to wait until we're on a dusty path and it's between Jericho and Jerusalem. That's not the point. We can do it between Chilliwack and Abbotsford. We can do it in our own city. So the first question from the lawyer, he came to Jesus. He would have known a little bit about Jesus, uh, heard him do some teaching. Maybe he had been in some other conversations. And so he asked Jesus a question. It says to test him. Or in other verses, it talks about when the experts in the law came to him, they tried to, they tried to uh, um, what? test him. Oh, man, sorry. Trick him. That's what it was here. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to trick him. Another time in the Gospels, people came, the experts in law came to him and said, what must we do to do the work of God that is required? And Jesus said, the work of God required for eternal life is to believe in the one he has sent, and that's me. So here it's a little different question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Same idea. Uh, how do we get to heaven is the idea. How do you inherit eternal life? How are you planning 
personally right now of inheriting eternal life. That when you die, you're with Jesus for eternity. How are you planning to inherit that? It's a good question for us. So the expert in the law does not say, how can I obey God? He's looking to, hold, to catch Jesus in a contradiction to the law of Moses and try to trap him and test him. The question is flawed, if you think about it. Inheritance, by its very nature, is a gift from a family member down, right? You don't work for inheritance. You just get it because of who you are. If you are born into a family or adopted into it, then and only then does the idea of inheritance make sense. So it's kind of a weird question. So he's wondering, can some form of effort guarantee? What must I do and how much do I need to do this? He doesn't understand divine grace as we understand it. You are born into this. It's inherited. It's not an inheritance for services rendered. It's not owed to you. Eternal life is not owed to us because of something we do. It's not deserved or earned. That's how we understand eternal life. So Jesus replies with a question to expose the lawyer's views on the law of Moses. It's a relationship family answer. We'll see at the end of this uh, how Jesus is actually the Jewish law expert. So Jesus answers with a question, similar, a popular thing to do. Okay, Mr. Expert in the law, what is written in the law? How do you read it? How do you interpret it? And he wants the man to discover it for himself. Think about this. It's always good for us sometimes. Some people will come and ask me a question. I know the answer, but I'd rather have them discover it. It just works better when you're parenting, whatever it might. Let them do some work to discover the answer. So Jesus does that. So how do you read it, Mr. Lawyer? And he says, well, I know this. Love God and your neighbor as yourself. And these would be verses that would be in his mind. Deuteronomy 6.5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your strength. Leviticus, uh, do not seek revenge, get angry or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as you love yourself. Another one in Leviticus, the alien living with you must be treated as one of your native born. Love him as yourself, for you were aliens in Egypt, and I am the Lord your God. That's in as much ministries right there. Treat that refugee, that alien, um, kind of a weird interpretive word nowadays to use, but it's someone who's not from that country. Uh, treat them like they are. Treat them like you would treat your own child coming into the country. So the standard is to love God unfailingly and with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and consistently love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. That's a tough call. What's the spectrum? <laughs> How much? If I don't do it properly, can I compensate with some good works? You know, if I have four bad things, can I do four good things and it all balances out? How do I inherit this eternal life? So Jesus says, excellent. Follow your own advice. If you know the answer, why'd you ask? You're right. Go and do it. Live it out. You know what to do, Mr. Lawyer. Go and do it. So the lawyer, he doesn't like that. So he asks the second question. Uh, hmm, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? He's asking a clarifying question, a categorical question. Who exactly do I need to love? Perhaps in his little thought bubble, if you were to have a, the scriptures written like that, 
it says in the thought bubble, I don't want to love anybody. Just anybody. The person would need to be deserving or related to me or should be noticed by others so they can see how wonderful I am. Perhaps that's going on in this thought bubble. Who's my neighbor? Am I expected to love my enemy? Am I expected to love a Gentile, a non-Jew? Am I expected to love a blasphemer? I am expected, am I expected to love people who have a whole other religion? That might be going on in his thought bubble. He needs some definitions. I certainly would not want to be good to someone if I don't have to. That's what's going on. I would not like to have to be good to everybody. I would like some boundaries on my goodness, on my mercy, on my love. He's not pouring it all out. I love that song, Riley Ann. You know, he's not pouring it all out. It's like, I just want to pour out as much to kind of give me eternal life. Because I think I can earn eternal life. I not only want to know who I should love, I want to know who I should not love. That's part of his question. I just need some clarification who exactly is my neighbor. Once I have that answered, I can proceed with inheriting eternal life. He did not understand the implications of his very own words. It says here he asked that question because he wanted to justify himself. He had to have reasons for his answers or actions. He wanted to show himself to be innocent and true. He wanted to be able to show that there was no wrongdoing on his part. That's what it means to want to justify yourself. Nothing to own here in regard to being wrong. So I need to justify myself and make sure. You know, I'm just, I know I'm not capable of just loving anybody, so I'm hoping that maybe God, Jesus gives me a good clarification on the boundaries of what a neighbor is. <sighs> what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's the original question. I want to do something. I want to get it over with, maybe, and wait for heaven. I don't like the idea of an all-encompassing perfection for the rest of my life. Pretty impossible. So is there something I can do? So Jesus gives the story. The lawyer can figure out the answers to his own questions. He's bright. The story maybe was on his LSAT. So maybe he knows it. He can put two and two together. He'll figure it out. Jesus is saying, I do not need to spoon feed you on this. So he has, Jesus does a story, four guys go into a bar. No, that's not, but it's close. It's kind of the same idea. <laughs> There's three people walking down the road. So scene one, a man is beaten, stripped, and left for dead. It's an unknown man. This is important. He's not classified at all. He's simply a human being, a person in need, a neighbor. Scene two, a priest comes by. We might not understand the, what the priest-Levite thing is, so let me give you some first century uh, Jewish cultural history here. Many of the priests lived in Jericho, and they would go up to Jerusalem, a good hike, for a two-week assignment, and then return home. So on his way home, this priest now, what did the priest do in Jerusalem? Well, he would have led worship. He would have led praise. 
He would have gave sermons. He would have heard sermons on loving God and following the law. That's what Jesus is putting in the mind of this lawyer. It's, it's not just anybody that walked by. It's a priest who knows the law, knows the Leviticus, about helping the alien in the land. Perhaps this priest gave a sermon from Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Perhaps he just preached that one, but he went around. He wasn't touching an unknown person. This position of priest was given by hereditary means, and they were generally of the wealthier class, the priests were, the prestigious and elite class in Jewish society. So when the priest sees the man, he has a problem. He is this this unknown man is stripped of his clothing. He could not be certain then of his ethnic linguistic identity. The priest couldn't judge who he was. He had no way of knowing if this man was a fellow Jew or any priest would would, uh, look at this. The unknown man was unconscious, maybe dead, so he doesn't want to go near him because if he is dead and he touches them, he's got a whole, got to do a whole ritual cleansing thing and say, ah, I can't be bothered. I just need to get home. I, I don't want to go do two weeks of sacrifice in the temple. I just want to go home. So he continued on his way on the other side of the road to make sure he didn't get too close to him. Scene three, a Levite comes by. Levite is an assistant to the priest. He would have known that the priest was ahead of him and the priest did not help, so he followed his boss. He's getting mentored by the priest. Should a mere Levite show up a priest? No, he's not going to do that. Did the Levite think he knew the law better than the priest? No. Could the Levite ride into town with a wounded man whom the priest, in obedience to his understanding of the law, had opted to ignore? No, such an act would be an insult to the priest, so he's more worried about the priest's approval or disapproval. So he also walks by on the other side of the road. Scene four, Samaritan comes by. You've heard me do this before. I'll do it again. The Jewish people in Jerusalem did not like this people from Samaria. It was like the people in Dog River, not liking the people of Willerton. Just go watch Corner Gas. You'll get it. Hated outsider. Hated They had a doubtful descent. I won't use the word they might have used to describe them. They had wrong theology. Unlike the previous travelers, this Samaritan, meaning he's from Samaria, is moved with compassion. He doesn't care about getting dirty. There's no ambulance service to call, although in BC right now it doesn't seem to work anyways, if you watch the news. We're just, uh, yeah, that's my one political comment for today. We need to help our paramedics, okay? We need to do something, man. It's bad out there. It's bad. Child and barrier died. Couldn't get an ambulance. The barrier ambulances were in Kamloops. His Kamloops was short. This, is, this isn't good. Sidetrack. He must attend, he must clean and fix and bandage and transport and pay for the accommodation in a Jewish town. That's what the Samaritan's going to do. He uses all of his available resources, oil, wine, cloth, 
his animal, his time, his energy, and his money. What Kelly said, his time, talent, and treasure. He used it all helping this person. All to care for an unknown wounded man. He risks his life taking this man into a Jewish city. And he doesn't just unload him at the, end of the, at the edge of the city border. He takes him right into town. Stayed the night. The next day, he gives two weeks worth of accommodation and food. It talks about the Nari. It was probably enough to pay for two weeks of accommodation and food. He pays the bills, offers to come back and clean up the tab, trusting the innkeeper to keep a running tab on restoring this man back to health. This is the story Jesus gives to a Jewish law expert. Follow-up conversation. Jesus converses with the lawyer. He does not just lecture him. So Jesus asks, which of these three do you think was a neighbor? It's been flipped a bit. It was like, who's my neighbor? Who should I help? To, are you a neighbor? Are you a neighbor? And so the Jewish lawyer says, the one who showed mercy, and as Matt said, he couldn't even bring himself to say that he was a Samaritan. Bingo, you win 10,000 bucks. You got it. The one who went, you win. The one who showed mercy, you got it, Mr. Lawyer. The Jewish legal expert doesn't say the fantastic, wonderful Samaritan. He couldn't even bring himself to say the nationality of the person, the one. The priests and the Levites, who were experts in the law and adamant in keeping the law, failed miserably, and the lawyer saw this. So, the answer to this question, who is my neighbor? Just go and continue doing the same. It's not about the neighbor, Mr. Lawyer, it's about you. Are you a neighbor? Go and act like a Samaritan. <laughs> Ouch! The Samaritan is a moral example for you, Mr. Jewish expert in the law. Wow. He doesn't want to praise the Samaritan. The answer comes from his head and not his heart. He's not moved by the story. There's still disdain for the Samaritan, the one who showed mercy. That's the logical answer. The question, who is my neighbor, should not be asked. No thought is allowed that a human being cannot be a neighbor. They are. Every human being. Jesus gives a forceful and concrete image that destroyed any thought of boundaries for your mercy and your love. So how do we conclude this? Jesus had a conversation with the legal expert, and I want you to think of now having a conversation with Jesus. He says, go and do the same, go and do likewise. Jesus changed the emphasis of the one in need to the need of the inquirer, to the person who was to do the good deeds. And it's not about doing, it's about being a, the right kind of person. When you see a person in need, it's not about wondering if they should be helped, it's about what kind of person you are and you will help. The lawyer wants to help a select few. Jesus says, let the neighbor be you, and if you're the neighbor, you will help everybody. There are no boundaries here. This is limitless. Anybody in need, regardless of language, religion, or ethnicity, 
Do not run people through a sieve. That's what Jesus is telling us. Do not limit yourself. Do not filter people out. To love God is to love him at every level. And to respond to him at every level. Responding with love is an outgrowth of the work of God in your heart. You know, after I heard Kelly speak, I was like, ah, I like to retire and just do that full time. <laughs> what a fun thing to do. What a great ministry. Going on hikes to Mount Tom. Not that I do it anyways, but maybe I do it. <laughs> Jesus saying, folks, this is the conversation with you. Do it with your heart, not your head. Not from a memorized to-do list. When your heart is in tune, the first thing to disappear is the list, is the accounting. Love does not keep an account. It doesn't. It does not. It doesn't keep score and judge. You are a neighbor because of who you are. It's second nature. Nature becomes the default position. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, the idea of inheritance is you need to be in the family. So for you to inherit eternal life, for me to inherit eternal life, we have to be in the family. And from that, our mind gets transformed into the image of Jesus. Our heart does, our whole being, and we become like Jesus. We give our time, our talent, and our treasure to the things of God. I like what Joe said the other day, you know, I, I can't help everywhere, <laughs> but I can help somewhere. As a group of believers here at Broadway, what can we do collectively that we cannot accomplish on our own? This is the kind of ministry that we've heard about this morning. So Jesus is saying, you need to inherit eternal life, you need to be in the family. You need, you, and in John chapter 1, it says, All who receive him and believe in his name, they are given the right to become a child of God, not of natural descent. You don't inherit eternal life because of where you're born, what your lineage is. <clears throat> you, you inherit eternal life because of your God's child. You get his inheritance. You're joint heirs with Christ. You enter into the family of God by believing Jesus, and you have this kind of heart that Jesus is talking about in the story of the Good Samaritan. I'll ask the band to come on up. We'll finish with the song. So it's a relationship question. And so the conversation with Jesus is, where are you in your inheritance of eternal life? What are you depending on? You're thinking, God, you kind of owe me heaven. I'm a pretty good person. I went to church today. That's not what inheriting eternal life is about. It's about receiving Jesus. His spirit comes into us and it transforms us into this kind of heart. Philippians 2.13 says, It is God who works in you to will and to act. That's what it is right there. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Believe in Jesus. How can they be the kind of person God wants them to be? It's God, Gary. It's God who works in you to will and to act out his good purposes. And his good purposes are to be a neighbor like this. 
This story is not just about ethics, not just about how to be nice. Remember the original question, how do I inherit eternal life? How do I have this kind of compassion, this kind of heart? Loving God through direct, visible means like loving your neighbor. It's possible by the work of God in your heart, through the Spirit of Christ living in you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the songs we've sung today that relate so well to this. That we want to pour out all of our love to you. But we do that knowing our sins are forgiven, that you aren't looking at us to be perfect, but just to follow you, to have you at work in us, to willing to do your good pleasure. You love us no matter what. We fail, we sin, but you are there to pick us up and keep us going. So I thank you for Kelly and her ministries at Inasmuch. I pray for blessing there. I pray for Ruth and Naomi and what Dave's doing there to help the least of these, to love the least of these. And so many other ministries go on in this church, I can think of. We've got ministries in a couple of countries in Africa being run by people connected to here. It's just beautiful to see. And in, in this city and in this province and in this country. Lord, thank you that you've shown to us Broadway, that this is what we need to continue doing. Continuing to be the heart and hands and the feet of Jesus to our world. Amen.